Hello, hello, you sexy savages. I'm Zach, your host of the Auxoro podcast, and this episode is brought to you by the Ox. What is the Ox, you ask? The Ox is an email newsletter where we share with you the five coolest things that we come across each week. This could range anything from articles to other podcasts to recipes to music videos. For example, just last week, we explored Adam Savage, the King of Mythbusters, Black Bear, Black Mirror, and Project Veritas's investigation into Google. Cool stuff. If you're ready to take your cool to the next level, at least our version of cool, you can subscribe to The Aux with a link in the description of this podcast or visit auxoro.com slash The Aux. That's A-U-X, motherfucker. Also, if you love this podcast, please go shoot us a five-star rating, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. We are a completely independent platform, which means that we rely on you, the listener, to spread the word. Even better, you can tell a friend about us. Thank you for your support. This time, we sat down with Dr. Ian Kerner, a licensed psychotherapist, a nationally recognized sexual counselor, and author of the best-selling book, She Comes First. Although the foundation of the Auxoro podcast will always be music, we've recently been branching out to include conversations from other lanes, like business, sports, science, and other interesting fields. I want to always follow my curiosity, even if it leads me outside of music, and I hope that you come along for the ride. What better subject to explore that curiosity than the art of cunnilingus going down on a woman? In this conversation, Dr. Kerner opens up on the journey through his early sexual experiences, why the clitoris is the powerhouse of the female orgasm, the best techniques to bring pleasure to a woman with your tongue, and the concept of coreplay versus foreplay. Now, I'm a 25-year-old single dude in NYC just bopping around, and I've had some embarrassing sexual experiences. Sometimes it's tough to find an outlet to talk about topics like this, which is why I'm grateful that Dr. Kerner could shed some light on how to navigate the cunnilingus department. I can personally attest that the techniques that he speaks about and in the book, She Comes First, work. And I encourage you to check it out and continue to educate yourselves sexually. Whether you are a straight man or a gay woman, or you just want to learn more about becoming a cunnilinguist, or improving your clitoracy, Dr. Kerner's words, not mine. This is the episode for you. Without further ado, here's our wide-ranging conversation with Dr. Ian Kerner. So I thought a, a good place to start would be premature ejaculation because okay. the first chapter of the book, you talk about an issue, premature ejaculation, mm-hmm. that you had in the past. And I think there's a lot of guys that wish they could have the confidence to talk about it in the book like you do. Not only talk about it in person, but to use it as a, a story and a tool to, to help other people and kind of introduce them into the book. And one line that I thought was incredibly funny was you said, to kind of describe your own experiences, then I came, I saw, and then I came again, <laughs> which which I have a lot of experience with, especially back in the day uh, during my, I was a late bloomer sexually. 
my first experience with sex was the summer going into my senior year or summer after my senior year of high school. And then I wasn't really consistently sexually active until sophomore year of college. So statistically, that's probably later than most people, I would say 15 or 16, usually start to get into it. For you, what was the rock bottom point of the premature ejaculation where you felt that something had to change? Like there had to be another side to things. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I think I grew up in a different era, so there wasn't really like access to the internet and all of this information. So I think I was, uh, first off, just living more in a vacuum. Like I think it takes a while to even figure out that you have a problem sexually. And uh, it's certainly hard to talk about, hard to figure out, hard to talk about. For me, um, being in college and just realizing that I couldn't have the kinds of sexual experiences that I wanted to have as I was learning more about female pleasure and what matters and getting feedback from partners, realizing that I was sort of a sexual failure and felt like a sexual failure and also uh, realizing that um, there didn't seem to be anything that I could do about it to to change the situation. So I think that led to um, a lot of despondency. I think I pulled away from sex, certainly, even from dating and intimacy. And I think I got into a cycle of thinking sort of, well, what's the point of even trying? And so that's certainly something that I experienced, but that's not necessarily specific to rapid ejaculation. That's uh, Mm -hmm. a kind of a thinking that um, I've identified in a lot of both men and women who have different issues around sex, whether it's Problems having orgasm, delayed ejaculation, problems with arousal, gaining, maintaining erections. I think um, when you um, you know feel like you're sort of uh, have a sexual disability and there's no one to talk about it with, you can really just sort of retreat inside. Yeah, and you mentioned social media and more things being on the internet nowadays, which is how I discovered your book back when I was a junior. I think junior or senior. In college, there's so much information out there that as a guy, there's really no excuse. And as a girl too, there's really no excuse to not at least look into things that have to do with sexual competency and trying to improve your game and trying to get better at doing certain things like becoming a cunnilinguist, like you mentioned in your book. I love that term, by the way. Yeah, I mean... um... So, you know, when I was suffering from premature ejaculation, I realized that I just couldn't do things. That's going to buzz every now and then, by the way. It's not for us. It's for the suite and I can't control it. There's really famous people going in and out of this office. That's what the buzzing sound is. I realized that I wouldn't be able to make love or express myself with my penis in the way that I wanted to. And so I didn't didn't have the, the tools to really express my passion, my desire for intimacy uh, and connection. And around the same time, I started to learn more about female sexuality and to learn that the clitoris was the powerhouse of the female orgasm and that uh, all of the nerve endings that were really associated with pleasure and orgasm were located on the surface of the vulva rather than being inside Mm -hmm. the vagina and responded to uh, 
persistent stimulation as opposed to penetration. So around that same time, I also learned that even if I could develop ejaculatory mastery and last as long as I wanted to, that it wasn't necessarily going to lead to female pleasure. So that was around the time that I kind of developed a whole different way of thinking and went from being illcliterate to becoming cliterate. To becoming cliterate. You mentioned the clitoris and I did not know how big the actual clitoral network was. It's, it has 18 parts. The G-spot is probably part of this clitoral sure. network. And when you see the clitoris from the outside perspective, when you're a male uh, or female looking at the vulva, you see just like a little tiny button or piece that's protruding out. And I, I did not realize that that expanse that extends deeper into the the vagina also is part of the clitoris, which kind of gives you the motivation to improve your game and be more active with your tongue and, and look for other ways to stimulate the vagina, knowing that it's such a huge part of stimulation and, and sexual pleasure. Yeah, that's right. I mean, male genitalia tends to be external and grow outwards and uh, female genitalia, working with the same genetic material and tissue, tends to grow um, inward. So um, that's sort of how it works. And so recognizing the different parts of the clitoris and realizing that what we tend to associate with the clitoris uh, is really just the head of the clitoris Mm -hmm. or really, you know, the tip of the iceberg to a a more vast internal uh, organ system. Was there a specific sexual experience or, or a moment where you realized the the power of cunnilingus? Where like after that experience, there was kind of like a shift in your mentality or was it a gradual learning experience? It was a little, like I said, you know, I sort of grew up pre-internet. There weren't really chat rooms or forums. Porn wasn't everywhere. It wasn't a conversation you really readily had with your friends about, you know, Mm -hmm. their sexual techniques. If people were talking about sex, it usually focused on intercourse more than outer course. Intercourse being penis and vagina penetration Mm -hmm. and outer course being all the other activities um, that you can uh, engage in. So for me, everything around sex was kind of a slow awakening and integration. I don't think that there was ever one big aha moment. I don't think there was ever a moment where just suddenly everything made sense. I think it was always a slow process of realization and learning and uh, awakening. Yeah. And you mentioned before, but so much of the language around sex is focused on penetration. And I played baseball in college. And so there's a lot of locker room talk and all of this sex talk kind of focuses around that penetration part. Like I fucked the shit out of, or I screwed her brains out, whatever that means. Like all of this, this language that is very violent and, and penetrative, if that's a word that as a guy makes you think that that is the answer. Like I must not be doing it hard enough or I must not be going deep enough. And thinking back on my own early sexual experiences, it's very 
it can be very uh, anxiety provoking when you mm-hmm. think that that's the answer. And so you're trying to go deeper and you're trying to go harder. But at the same time, all you're thinking in your head is don't come, don't come, don't come. So it's like you're doing the thing that you think is supposed to be the answer. But at the same time, you know that that's not sustainable. Sure. And plus, there's also a distance between the head of the clitoris, the glands, which really responds to stimulation, and then the entrance of the vagina. So you can imagine that most uh, intercourse positions really um, inadequately stimulate the clitoris in a consistent way. So yeah, you can be a young guy focused on not coming, lasting as long as you can, maintaining an erection, and having intercourse and be with a a female partner Mm. who uh, feels little to no actual pleasure from that. Now, of course, there's more than just clitoral stimulation Mm. that's part of the process of arousal. It's feeling comfortable, it's feeling safe, it's feeling psychologically aroused, it's feeling sensually connected, it's being able to distract yourself from the environment and from stressors and to really be able to drop down into that aroused state. So it's more than just any sexual behavior, whether it's intercourse or uh, outer course. Yeah, and you talk about that, of course, in the book, She Comes First, and you mentioned the the buildup and... and setting the stage and and the context for the woman. And that can start as early as being out at dinner and saying something at dinner or making her feel beautiful and using your body language and your words before you even get into the bedroom. I think the hardest part for a lot of guys is avoiding contact with the vulva for the first 10 to 15 minutes of sex. Or when the, when the action mm-hmm. starts to happen, when you start tearing clothes off, when you start yeah. going at it, I think it, it's difficult to not get over ahead of yourself and then just start yeah. going for the vagina with your fingers or the vulva with your fingers or other parts of the body and just going down there immediately. Because that's kind of how like, I don't want to say trained, but in pornography too, like that's the, the, mm-hmm. the flow of it. You make out for you know, two, three minutes, and then you just work your way down and then you right. you go right for the vulva. What, right. are, what are some other ways of intimacy that you can delay that, uh, that action? Like how, yeah. how, how can you kind of set the vibe before you go straight to the private parts? Oh, I mean, there's lots of different, different behaviors that you can engage. And I think the, the key point that you made is that men and women often experience sexual desire and arousal differently. And men can experience um, a lot of desire very quickly, sometimes just watching a partner undress, just even Mm -hmm. staring at a partner, thinking about something. A guy can get an erection very quickly and be sort of ready to use that erection. So a lot of guys are able to be genitally focused quite quickly and then sort of map that or project that level of arousal onto their partner. You know, for women, they don't often experience those same levels of just spontaneous desire and arousal. So there is a little bit more of a simmering process or a percolating process, Mm -hmm. uh, generating, you know, the arousal so that you're sort of both in the same place. And so, yeah, I think a lot of guys do go way too quickly to um, genital stimulation, which have done too early really doesn't have a positive feeling. It has a, a negative feeling. It's like if um, if I just walk up to somebody, if I just walk up to my wife and bite her on the neck, uh, she's going to be pretty pissed yes, off. Like, what the fuck? You know, if, uh, 
If on the other hand, she's really highly aroused and approaching orgasm and I bite her on the neck, that might feel good. You yeah, know, so it's, it's like, all about the context and, yeah, the and the context. setting the situation, the scene. context and not irritating somebody's sort of uh, nervous system. So you asked, what can you do? Well, I mean, there's all sorts of right sensual activities that make up foreplay from kissing and touching and, you know, just exploring and enjoying and lingering above the waist. But I think um, something else that a lot of um, men and women miss the mark on is, um, generating psychological excitement. Mm -hmm. For example, there have been studies that have shown that uh, many women can come very close to the point of orgasm just by fantasizing, just by thinking their way. Sometimes when I do experiment, when I'm working with men around their porn issues, I'll give them a homework assignment. I'll say, next time you're masturbating um, to some hot porn, keep your hands on the armrest, open your pants, but see how long it takes you to get fully aroused without ever touching yourself. Mm -hmm. And guys will come back and say, hey, yeah, within 75, 80 seconds, I had like an erection that was at Mm -hmm. like 80, 85%. And that's without touching themselves at all. So clearly the mind, the, the brain being able to respond to visual, psychological, auditory stimulation really plays a key role in physical arousal. So I think a lot of men and women miss the opportunity to cultivate that kind of psychological excitement. Do you think music or lighting can enhance that psychological excitement before? Because I, I recently started using these mood lights, Philip Hue lights, sells light bulbs that you can just change the color of the lights on your phone. So I was doing some research and apparently red is a, a very passionate erotic color mm-hmm. and then I also have a playlist on my phone that I try to when I'm listening to songs and I think oh that maybe has a good rhythm for sex I'll add it to the playlist and I feel like when you are in those beginning stages when you're you're making out you're going to other parts of the body besides the the private parts the the vulva vagina it keeps you in more of a relaxed state or at least me like mm-hmm. having the music playing it's almost like a semi-meditative state where you can just be more in the moment. Well, I think where you're talking about getting into that meditative, sort of really relaxed, kind of uh, disconnected from everything else state is exactly where you want to be. So if there's good lighting and good music that helps you get to that place, fantastic. I think the key is to communicate that to your partner and hopefully she feels the same way. I mean, like, you know, like, you don't want like a red light making her feel like she's like in The Shining or that's something. True, like, that's true. You know, or like, you know, so it's all about just like uh, the overlapped space between you and the person and what you create yeah. there together. Yeah. No, I mean, that is true. I should, I should probably give, give <laughs> some warning. There are some times where, where it's just like an afterthought. Right. Cause you can do it, you do it on your phone. So in my mind, I feel like such a baller because I can turn on the playlist and turn on the lights at the same time. So I'm just like, yeah, well, I don't know. Like, uh, so, I just hope someone doesn't get freaked out. That's suddenly, true. like, you know, the room turns red. And that's true. Well, I, I should make I don't it, know what kind of music you're putting on. Uh, some of it is like the soundtrack like to the shining. Slow R&B. Yeah, the soundtrack to the shining. The psycho and the red I just leave, I just leave that on, on repeat. A, a lot of it's like slower R&B or, or, or hip hop. Some of it's more unconventional. Like, uh, I, I feel like a lot of the typical songs that people put on their sex playlist are not actually good songs to have sex mm-hmm. to. And so I like 
things with with a rhythm, but not too intense. Like a Travis Travis Scott, I think makes a lot of good sex music. He's a a rapper, and yeah, I think he has great rhythms. And what you're talking about is sort of setting the environment and the mood, and yeah, that's really important. I mean, you know, lighting is important. I mean. Sometimes people like to see a lot of what's happening and sometimes they want the sort of the cover of a little bit of darkness. So having like uh, some different types of lighting um, makes sense. And, you know, um, I work with um, a lot of men and women who have a hard time getting out of their heads and they're thinking about sex. They're thinking about their performance. They're worried about their sexual function. So if there's some kind of music or an environment that helps you to relax or something else to maybe even distract yourself with or focus on mm-hmm. that's good sexual mindfulness. Can you walk me through the first kiss, the first contact with the vulva? Because I think it defies a lot of expectations and current techniques that guys are using, especially my age, having grown up in an era where pornography was readily available right. since you're, you know, in early high school. Could so you so walk what are the techniques that? that you're seeing that get uh, depicted that you think need to be countered? Like you use your tongue like a penis in pornography. Uh-huh. You just like stab at the vagina with your tongue and try to basically replace, yeah, replace your dick with your tongue and just use it like that. Oh, I think a lot of a lot of it is obviously made for the camera. So you want to be able to see the tongue and the guy's face from certain angles. And I find that and you talk about this in your book as well. I find that the most pleasure or at least I hope the most pleasure from the woman's perspective comes when your face is buried. Like you can't, if you had a camera on your face, you wouldn't be able to see your tongue really. Probably not. Yeah, it'd be more like you're kind of nestled in there. There's not much space. There's a lot of contact between your tongue and the vulva. Mm -hmm. You're not really back far from it and stabbing. That sounds good, Zach. That sounds like a good description of sort of what you should do, which is just to be in a, you know, in a route. I think the main thing is that you want your partner and to be in a, in a highly aroused state mm-hmm. and to be ready and wanting some kind of genital stimulation. And then to just sort of, um, I guess, as you know, as you said, you don't want to like, uh, you know, make like a cobra fighting a mongoose, you know. Yeah, uh, that's a good description. Or, uh, you know, it's not the running of the bulls. I think you just want to be uh, gentle and tuned in. Are there certain go-to strokes that once you kind of establish that first contact where you're at least four or five minutes in to using your tongue on the vulva, are there certain strokes that you can just settle into that will bring the woman closer to orgasm? Yeah, I mean, I think each guy, I mean, you could certainly read She Comes First and I have a lot of different techniques in yeah, there. Yeah, of I course. Think I want everyone guy, to read the book. Yeah, and I'm not has, trying to... Tell people just go read read the book, but yeah. you know, I mean, I think ideally before you even begin that kind of a uh, direct genital stimulation, like you want your partner to be at least halfway towards orgasm or at least fifty percent aroused. And I think in the beginning, you want to be, um, you know, connected, tuned in, exploratory, playful, trying to figure out a kind of a rhythm of a dance that works for both of you. And then I think you know, as um, uh, a female partner is getting closer to orgasm, 
you know, a couple of things are happening. A few things are happening. One, blood flow is really going into the genitals. Two, there's muscular tension developing throughout the body. Three, she's sort of getting accustomed to kind of a rhythm that she doesn't really have to think about. You know, it's like a little bit like imagine like taking a drive and just really enjoying the drive. Like probably on that drive, you might be like signaling, accelerating, braking, changing mm-hmm. directions, but somehow you're not aware of any of those little like micro yeah, like you kind of moments. end up somewhere and you right, forget just, where you just were 20 the minutes moment. ago. It's like an autopilot. But almost. I think at a certain point, you want to shift into a rhythm that's um, pretty persistent and pretty rhythmic and that seems to be working towards that process of just generating arousal. You know, and uh, in my experience, you just want to build up that persistent, consistent, insistent rhythm and then create sort of a, a point of uh, resistance uh, for your partner. And at a certain point, really, she's leading the dance almost mm-hmm. the entire time. And like you said, I, I want everyone that's listening to this to read the book because there are fully laid out, beautiful scripts in She Comes First, where he goes through in detail sort of the different strokes and different maneuvers that you can use. You mentioned the the analogy between kind of driving and cunnilingus and, and the meditative state. I actually started meditating a year ago. And I feel like going down on a woman and meditation kinds of kind of feeds into each other a little bit since I've started meditating. It's not just sex, but I feel more in the moment for other things too, like conversation, just drinking iced coffee, walking down the street. It kind of Mm -hmm. lets you, gives you the skill set to put that endless, you know, like clusterfuck of thoughts in your mind, all these anxieties, you, you're thinking about the past, you're thinking about the future. You're never actually just in the present feeling the sensations. And like, you can, you can like feel the sensations of your tongue. You can feel the feedback from her, like leading the dance. Like you were saying, there's totally. all these things that I had not realized sexually that I should have been paying attention to. Yeah, I think for me, uh, and again, I've been, I've been married for like 20 years right now. That's beautiful. Yeah, thanks. I mean, for me, the journey went from when I think about my early sort of sexual forays and my struggles with early ejaculation from having to always think about sex and worry about it and Mm -hmm. be in my own head and watching myself to really getting to just a very like zen place where my head is cleared and I'm just very present and in the moment. And I suppose some of that comes through conolingus and clitoral stimulation and techniques that are just focused on building that kind of rhythm. Some comes now through my own confidence and sense of uh, sexual self-esteem. And then just, you know, having a a partner that I feel really comfortable with. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a little hard when you're single and dating and always having sex for the first or second time with somebody. It's kind of hard to get that, that comfort level to just kind of really go unconscious during sex. Yeah. I don't mean fully unconscious, just below yeah, that, that would, level. Yeah, that wouldn't of, be good legally. <laughs> right. Just, you know, below but like, that yeah, level. Yeah, in, in that like semi-meditative state. Yeah. And yeah, as uh, you know, I've been single pretty much my whole life, but for the past two years straight, I've been single. And I 
read in She Comes First and I've, I've also seen other people kind of anecdotally tell me this, but that it's harder for a woman to come on the first sexual encounter statistically, you know, maybe the first two or three times she might not come. And obviously the guy's much more mechanical. It's, it's inevitable in most cases, but yeah, I think about that more, especially when I'm with a woman for the first time, how can I, you know, set the stage? How can I create more of a, a psychological comfortability. I'm not just, I'm, I'm less goal oriented than I was in the past. I feel like I'm more, more about the experience and almost like the servant mentality. Like how can I make this night as fun as possible for this girl? And sex is just a byproduct, whether it happens or not, but I just want the overall experience to be fun. And it definitely uh, pays off if sex does happen. Yeah, it sounds really good. That sounds like you're more about the the journey than the destination. And mm -hmm. definitely one criticism that I've heard of She Comes First, which I'm really open to, is that um, it can put pressure on a woman to feel like she has to have an orgasm. And so definitely, while I'm all about the orgasm, and I believe that men and women equally enjoy orgasm, sometimes uh, there can be an intense focus on her pleasure in a way that doesn't feel inviting, but feels disconnecting. Yeah. And you also, you lay out reassurances in the book. Yeah. If a woman is uncomfortable or maybe she thinks she smells or, or something like that. Well, what I heard from a lot of women is just that um, receiving oral sex is a very vulnerable act. It's much easier to, in many cases, to give pleasure. It's easier to mm -hmm. sort of engage in intercourse, but actually uh, lying back and letting a guy smell you and taste you and look at you, that up close and center can be really uh, vulnerable. So it takes um, a lot of uh, trust and intimacy and often reassurance mm -hmm. because just as guys worry about the size of their penises or how long they're going to last and what have you, a lot of women can suffer from sort of a lack of genital self-esteem. And so being able to build up your partner's uh, self-esteem around how they look, taste, smell, feel. Yeah. And letting them know that you want to be doing this. It's, it's right. not a chore. I, I can only speak for myself, but it kind of does seem almost like a chore when you are first doing it because the first time you ever go down on a woman is probably going to be the worst time, like many things in life. And so you might be discouraged earlier on and be like, you know, fuck this. Like, I'm not good at it. It's not all typed up to be, but it, it is definitely like a, a process of getting to learn yourself and your partner, Yeah. no matter how long you're yeah, going to be with That's what I them. sort of said for me, sex wasn't like some aha moment where I just, you know, arrived at having, you know, the insight I wanted and the behaviors that express that insight. It's really about, you know, being patient and putting together the pieces. So one thing that's come up for me recently is, uh, so this is different than uncomfortability, but so say I'm, I'm going down on a woman and rather than she is saying, you know, you don't have to do that or I'm uncomfortable with that. Or, you know, if she has some insecurity, she'll say, you know, just fuck me already. Like, just do it. Like, I just mm -hmm. want you to fuck me already. 
how do you get around that? Because there's sometimes where I just don't want to, like, I, not that I'm not attracted to her, but I'd rather f- try to finish the job and try to bring her to orgasm. And I feel like sometimes a girl can get offended if you, you know, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I can't like pull out statistics and be like, well, actually, like you'd probably enjoy yeah. the experience more if I uh, finish. Yeah, I mean, I guess you just have to develop sex scripts and sex menus that, you know, are mutually arousing and I think be able to talk about this stuff. I mean, you know, for me, I think um, it was important to express that I could get excited easily. I could, Mm -hmm. you know, ejaculate before I wanted to. And so, you know, this was my way of being able to stay, you know, present in the pleasure. So, I mean, it's pretty hard to have sex with somebody and also not communicate about it, you know, yeah. like, so also developing the language to just talk about the sexual experience. And, you know, in the moment is probably a little harder. So for the girl who's saying, you know, just fuck me now, I mean, maybe that's what you do in that yeah, moment. Man, that's just or, what she wants. But I think that there's a, an opportunity, you know, to talk about it. And, you know, like I said, I mean, Part of writing She Comes First was to sort of break free from what I called the intercourse discourse, which is just feeling like sex, intercourse is the main event, mm-hmm. intercourse is sex, everything else that comes before that is sort of just like an optional appetizer and intercourse is always, you know, um, the main entree. And um, a lot of women have that notion too. And so I've found and I've been seeing thousands of couples over the years and individuals, it's sometimes it's hard to break away from that uh, discourse. Yeah, I think there can be, like you're saying, there can be situations in the moment where it's definitely not going to be helpful to talk about it. It's better to set out time to have those sorts of conversations and be very candid about it. And I'm sure you with your own experience, you can find ways, you've found ways to make it sexy or fun. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, we're going to talk about sex for 20 minutes on the Google calendar and we're, and we're just going to lay out what we want in really dry yeah. terms. Like y- you can make it interesting and fun. Yeah, Sometimes you can just let your partner know whether partner's female or male, like you had like a really sexy fantasy about them or a really sexy dream about them. And, you know, this was the fantasy or this was the dream. And it involved, you know, me giving you pleasure in this way. And that was really a turn on for me. I mean, I think, you know, there's also in sex, um, you want to be fair, you want to be respectful, you want to be egalitarian in giving and, um, receiving, but there's also a kind of a a selfishness that needs to be present too. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I work with a lot of couples where they're in such great, respectful, collaborative relationships, but they're not having great sex. And sometimes part of the reason is they don't know how to enter into a language of like eroticizing each other and being able to share a fantasy and how you see your partner as sort of an object of their fantasy. And so I use the term object in a in a healthy, constructive mm-hmm. way, not to say that you need to reduce, that you should be reducing somebody to, to yeah, an object. More like letting, placing yourself in the, the fantasy and placing your partner yeah, in the Yeah, I mean, it's very sexy to feel desired by somebody Mm -hmm. and to know how they desire you. In fact, I hear from a lot of men who say, I really want to 
feel desired by my partner and I'm I'm the one that's always initiating sex, it would be great for her to want to like throw me up against a wall and do me or something like yeah. that. And that goes back to the spontaneous and the responsive desire that you were talking about before. I think guys generally have more of this spontaneous desire where, you know, my apartment could be burning down and I'd still be sexually aroused if I was in the moment. And women seem to be much more responsive and, and percolating, like you mentioned before. I don't know if you intended this in She Comes First while you were writing the book, but through my own podcasting experience, I noticed a lot of similarities between cunnilingus and speech patterns. And what I mean by that is when we speak to people, oftentimes we feel the need to fill every space. And so if someone is not talking, you might say, uh, or, um, or throw in a filler, or you might feel pressure to spit out what you're saying right away. And they're really aren't any gaps in speech. But then when I started podcasting, I started to learn how I spoke and leave more pauses and really think about what I'm saying. And with Cunnilingus, you talk about breaking contact at at key points and using applied pressure and then pulling away with the tongue to build up the, the feelings of pleasure ultimately to orgasm. And, and that reminded that kind of uh bridged not bridge the gap because speech and i guess there are a lot of similarities because you're using your tongue but it, it i immediately thought of speech at certain parts of the book where you don't always have to be you know talking 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 using your tongue using your tongue you can totally i think that that's a, a great comparison i mean it's about letting the person you're speaking with speak back to you be curious find you I've definitely found uh, with cunnilingus and some of my best sexual experiences that, you know, uh, people are most aroused in the moments where they're seeking you out, where they're finding you. So I think that that makes, you know, absolute sense. Yeah. I couldn't help but think about my speech anxieties and my sex anxieties when I was reading the book and they were, they seemed very connected in that way. I mean, there's something about during cunnilingus, right? Like letting your partner pursue your tongue or letting your partner find your tongue mm-hmm. or find you. And the same thing, waiting for someone to answer you, not always jumping down their throat, no pun intended, to get an answer, but actually, you know, kind of sitting in the space and letting that person react and seeing what happens. What are the worst mistakes? or mindsets that you've seen guys use during oral sex? Like, are there any... Well, I haven't seen any guys during oral sex other than myself, to be honest. Yeah, that's a key key word factor. Yeah, what are some things that you've heard as a... As a third party to other other stories? Maybe it would help if uh, there was some sort of video feedback, you could uh, give very direct responses. No, I mean, you know, certainly I've talked to a lot of people about their sexual behaviors and habits. What are some of the mistakes guys can make? Not really wanting to be there, not really being interested in it, really approaching it as um, a chore more than something that they're loving and passionate about. I mean, I think with sex, it's really important to 
to listen to your partner, to hear your partner, to be respectful of your partner and what interests them, but also to um, find out what interests you. And if cunnilingus isn't your thing, for whatever reason, my job isn't to change you or convert you, but maybe to help you find something else that you can express your passions through. So I think if, um, if you're approaching it like a chore, that's certainly not good. I think if your partner is very uncomfortable with cunnilingus, then it's not something that you can really compel upon her, even if you feel like it's a great way of sort of sexually representing yourself and turns you on. So you do have to be conscious of what turns you on, what turns your partner on. As we said earlier, I think thinking of um, cunnilingus or oral sex as foreplay, as opposed to more like core play or something that would happen a little later in a sex script, as opposed to right away. I think a lot of guys just sort of almost go straight to cunnilingus from like a first kiss on the mouth, almost straight down to cunnilingus. And I think allowing more arousal to be percolated and Mm -hmm. and cultivated. I think, uh, let's see, you know, certainly as you said, like um, thinking of the tongue as a proxy for the penis Mm -hmm. and basically tongue fucking a woman. That doesn't seem like a, a very smart move. I think understanding that you are rhythmically generating a process of arousal over time. And so there needs to be persistent rhythmic stimulation really over a period of time and being tuned into how that arousal is being generated. I think also at um, recognizing that the clitoris responds to different types of um, pressure and rhythm and texture at different points in the arousal arc. And so being both cautious and sensitive and loving, but also knowing when to increase either rhythm or pressure against the clitoris. So to really allow a partner to lead in the dance. I mean, she'll press against your tongue or the surface of your teeth or your gum uh, in ways that feel really good to her. So sometimes, Mm -hmm. as you said earlier, just like not feeling like you need to speak so much, but just listen or even provide a still point of sort of resistance and really allow her to kind of um, lead the dance. And I think another difference would be to recognize that men experience um, a point of ejaculatory inevitability where without any further, regardless of physical stimulation, he will ejaculate at a Mm. certain point. So we see in um, porn, there's a trend called like ruined orgasms now or ruined hand jobs where What's that? Um, it's like where women are basically edging men. It's like like femdom torture. Women are basically yeah. sort of teasing, edging, tantalizing a guy, getting him to that point of ejaculatory inevitability. And right at that point where he would want stimulation, she stops providing the stimulation, but he's going to have his orgasm regardless. That would be called like a ruined orgasm. So they they get them to the point of no return with their hands or mouth or whatever. And then once that point starts to hit, stop the stimulation. Then they just come with no stimulation. Correct. That does sound awful. That sounds terrible. That's why it's called a ruined orgasm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That definitely But it's kind of a whole like power dom kind of trend in porn. But women don't experience that point of inevitability. 
And so women will say like, he was perfect, things were going great. And then right when I was about to come or right even while I was coming, he changed positions or did something different. At a certain point, if something's working, just keep doing that one thing Mm -hmm. until it's done. And so recognizing again that women can lose an orgasm even as it's happening. Yeah, and you you mentioned that, of course, in the book as well, how the, the pre-orgasm, the stage right before the, the orgasm and the actual orgasm lasts minutes. Yeah. And of course, every woman is different. But in the past, I've been so quick to, you know, once I see the first sign of intense pleasure or I think the orgasm is happening, then you kind of lose control or you pull away. You're like, oh, my job right. is done. But you should be continuing, like you were saying. Yeah. Continue the the pace. Continue yeah. whatever's working. Yeah. You'll, Sometimes you'll I'm know too when quick it's really to switch over. up. You'll stuff. know when it's done. Yeah. But yes, um, that that sort of uh, pre orgasmic phase or the plateau phase, the the moments, the minutes leading up to orgasmic release can take a while. And I think a lot of guys often will project their own arousal onto their partner. And so just when their partner's really starting to get aroused, that's when they're finishing up. And yeah. so that creates what's, uh, I guess, called the orgasm gap, where during sex, men are consistently having orgasms and women are not. I started using my, like you were saying, pushing back against the vulva during the orgasm and kind of like keeping it going. I never used to do that in the mm-hmm. past and using your fingers as well to kind of keep pressure and apply pressure. I'd never really thought about having that sort of mindset. Like I was saying before that once the, once the orgasm hits for the girl or once you think it's happening, it may not even be happening yet. She may be in the pre-orgasm stage. You kind of think your job is done. And I've thought that a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And since reading your book, I've, it's kind of fun to like push back against your tongue and try to prolong the orgasm sure. for the female. It gets, it, you know, you see that feedback, you're getting that sure. feedback in the moment. Just stay in tune to what feels good, what's comfortable. You don't want to engage in like post-orgasm torture of a person. Like after like, an orgasm. Like too sensitive? Yeah, after an orgasm, generally there's a lot of genital sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you can imagine if you were receiving oral sex from a woman and you had an orgasm, an ejaculation, you probably, after a few seconds, wouldn't want her to continue. Yeah, it gets painful. To... They're extremely sensitive. Maybe that is going to be another wave of porn if it isn't already the the post-torture, post-orgasm torture instead yeah. of the pre-orgasm torture. Yeah. Well, I... There are a lot of post-orgasm handjob torture videos. Oh. I guess there's a there's an audience for everything, especially <laughs> especially is. with porn. You can you can find your niche and hammer that home. So I wanted to get into some of the persistence of using your tongue and applying pressure. Well, with, so this is really all about this podcast is going to be all about cunnilingus. Yes, that's cool. I'm good yeah, with that. I, I'm fine. I think a lot of I think a lot of guys especially friends and and guys that I've run into my age are not great at talking about sex and cunnilingus. And I hope that this will push people towards the book and and help people out and, and sort of become more, more confident and, and 
better at, better at sex. Get clitorate. Exactly. Learn learn some clitoracy. So the idea of of switching up rather than being persistent. I think in the past I've been too quick to switch up, mm-hmm. and there's almost like this voice in your head as a guy where you know you're doing something for two or three minutes, and then you think, okay, now I this is time. I need to go to my next move, or I need I need to start doing something different rather than just sticking with something that works. And there's, there's a lot of nuance, especially in porn where you have 69ing, you have, you know, sitting on people's faces and that may not, that may be fun, but it may not be the best way to bring people to orgasm. I I think that the, the persistency is something that I've definitely been incorporating more and trying to stick longer with the same type of stimulation. Yeah, I think you want to create an environment that's really comfortable and relaxing. I mean, you know, imagine a, a woman masturbating with like her hands or a vibrator. Mm-hmm. She's probably like really comfortable in a great position, feeling relaxed, able to fantasize, feeling like she has time. I mean, I think you want to be able to create, um, you know, a similar environment when you're giving pleasure. So, um, Shifting positions a lot, um, engaging in positions that might put pressure on her back or legs or just might not be comfortable, I mean, are probably things that you want to avoid. Now, of course, again, arousal is a process that unfolds over time. So sometimes in the beginning of the process of arousal, that might be a great time to incorporate some variety, both in oral sex and um uh, psychological stimulation and trying different things. You know, um, in the beginning of the arousal process, that could be a great time to add some novelty and variety. But I think um, at a certain point, and this is true of men and women, you want to just be able to like settle into that process mm-hmm. of arousal and know what you're anticipating and, um, you know, feel your way into it. Yeah, because you can't really get into that meditative state and that, you know, you're almost detached from the arousal, I feel like at some times. Like you don't you don't really feel, you know, this huge wave of, of passion if you are so lost in using yeah. your tongue, using your fingers. It's almost like a very mechanical and you're focused and you're zoned in. And time is passing. You don't realize how much you could have music playing, could have the the shining lights <laughs> that sets the mood. But uh, And for women more than men, studies have shown that as women are getting aroused and sort of moving towards orgasm, that parts of the female brain that are associated with um, stress and sort of activity, outside activity, like those sort of, that part of the brain kind of deactivates. and so sort of part of the female brain needs to turn off in order for like the sexual part to really turn on. So it's funny because when we think about sex, we're probably thinking about how can I turn on my partner? And we're thinking sometimes mm-hmm. about all this hot sex and hot sexual positions. But if, if in a different way you think of like, how can I turn off my partner in that? How can I help her turn off her brain and not have to think and worry about anything? That might be a better way to approach it. I guess what's interesting is as I'm talking, you know, I take a very, um, I mean, I'm very focused on my partner's pleasure. I take great pleasure in giving pleasure. 
I kind of lose my own ego in it in a way. It's like meditation, kind yeah. of dissolving of yeah. the ego. Not to say that I wouldn't ever want to like eroticize my partner or, you know, be selfish at times about what turns me on, hopefully in ways that are arousing. But, you know, I don't think that like being great at cunnilingus and really committing to it, it's not for the sexual narcissist. Mm -hmm. It's not for a guy who's just like interested in his pleasure. I mean, you really have to respect and care about your partner's pleasure and really take great pleasure in, in giving that kind of pleasure. Um, you know, it's not, again, for the sexual narcissist. It seems like an activity that would go against you if you were purely just worried about yourself or your own ego. Because the woman, like you were saying, is in such a vulnerable, vulnerable yeah. state. And, yeah. you know, it, it would probably not be as pleasurable not, or not be as comfortable if you were just worried about yourself and, you know, working on your own technique without worrying about what she wants or how she's feeling or what she wants to do. Well, what's your take on, so you're younger than me, I'm probably twice your age. Like what's your take on your cohort of sort of male friends and guys? Like to what extent, like, are they focused on really just wanting to connect and give pleasure and get into that sort of mindful meditative place versus what some people call sort of like more like sport fucking. Sport be, fucking. You know, or being sort of all about like, like the, the notches in the belt and numbers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm 25, so I am two and a half years out of college. And I definitely had more of the sport fucking mindset when I was in school. And I valued myself on that a lot. So it was more, you know, when I go out this weekend, I need to have sex with someone or I'm going to feel bad about myself during the week. And that was extremely harmful. To not only to the the women that were involved in that, not I, I would say harmful is the wrong word, but it was for the the wrong motivations because I'm worried about the end goal of just having sex with this girl and kind of adding her to the list rather than worrying about the experience. And and ironically, I I feel like since I've had a change in mindset. I feel like at least women are more attracted to me that I'm worried more about the experience and trying to make things as fun as possible. And, you know, I feel more engaged in conversation. I'm not at a bar being very calculated. Like, what can I say to this girl to make her come back to me, come back with me? How do I have to act? How do, I felt like sometimes I was calculating my approach to the point where I wasn't even myself. And now I'm more saying what's on my mind and then they respond and then I respond to what they say. And it's like that more conversely and sexually. So I, I enjoy it a lot more. You asked about my group of friends. There's definitely a wide spectrum. There are some that are in very long-term relationships for 25-year-olds. Some of my friends have been dating since they were 16 or 17. That's a long time. It's a long time. So as a third-party observer to many relationships... I would say that a lot of the conversation with those guys centers around, you know, we don't have sex at all. Things aren't that interesting. Conversations like, you know, I, I see this girl on the street and I, you know, I just like, I feel so turned on by other girls and I don't feel turned on by my girlfriend. Some of that spontaneous desire may be disappearing. And mm -hmm. then 
with my friends that are more single, there's definitely more of an excitement, especially, you know, yeah. like 24, 25. There's more of like the world is so open for girls and guys like ready to have more experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess even thinking about like sort of like sexual narcissism, you could be a sexually narcissistic kind of lingust as well. If you're just so focused on my skills as at kind of lingus and giving a woman an orgasm, you know, every time. So I think, you know, just uh, being able to approach sex from, um, you know, a place of giving and tuning into mutual pleasure and um, even vulnerability. And, you know, I, I talk a lot sometimes about sex that's rec-relational, meaning that there's a strong... Rec like Like recreational, but rec-relational mm -hmm. in that there's a recreational component to the sex. Mm -hmm. It's fun. You're trying new things. Maybe there's role-playing sex toys fantasies, new positions, whatever, whatever's fun. But then there's also like, I think a relational aspect, whether you're with somebody for the first time or the, you know, thousandth time and sort mm -hmm. of being able to combine um, the recreational aspects with the rela relational aspects. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the guys in my friend group are in between the recreational and the, the relational, the rec, Liational, rec relational, rec relational, <laughs> and I'm in that right now. Where you know I'm not just going out there and having a a bunch of one night stands, but it's more like I have a consistent partner for four to six weeks, maybe a few months, and then things start to fade. And I feel like the sex is more fun that way because mm -hmm. it's hard to experiment during a one night stand. And you, you find you get sexually bored of people after a certain amount of time, or. Not really. I've enjoyed sex with everyone in my recent past, especially those, you know, four to six, four to eight week flings. I think it's more just personal responsibilities in life that have taken us apart or maybe mm -hmm. you know, girls taking jobs in sure. other cities just or where you are in the life yeah, ex cycle. Exactly. Too. Like it, it kind of matches up. I, I don't really have a hard time limit on it where I say, you know, after this period of time, it kind of, you know, I should start backing away. It's more you know, maybe I feel like she's not as into it anymore. Maybe I'm not as into mm -hmm. it anymore. I don't really have a hard, a hard deadline on things. I kind of just let it play out. Cool. So I want to respect your time. Oh, okay. I have what he's like, yeah, now you're going to respect my time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> my last, it's not really a, a question. It's a proposal for the guys out there that, have not read your book, but are listening to this conversation and are uh -huh. saying, you know, this sounds great, but you know, I'm, I'm a great performer without cunnilingus. I don't have to go down on a woman to give her pleasure. My dick is perfectly adequate. Mm -hmm. I don't need that. That's not for me. It's witchcraft. What would be your clitoracy two minute pitch for a guy like that, where you're not necessar necessarily trying to convert him into conolingus, but just yeah. uh, what yeah. would you say to someone like that? I mean, I would just say, you know, to think about like shifts from intercourse to outer course to understand that the clitoris is the powerhouse of the female orgasm. So it's about stimulating the surface of the vulva more than penetrating the vagina to understand that really the most sensitive part of the clitoris, which is the glands, which is... Um, 
you know, uh, you know, a few centimeters above the entrance to the vagina, that you can have a lot of sex, penetrative sex in a lot of different positions and not really be providing the kind of clitoral stimulation that's um, giving your partner orgasmic satisfaction. And that um, an interesting thing, generation to generation, is that I find that more women today, young women your age, are faking orgasms than previous generations. So I think that there's a, a high performative aspect to sex for both men and women that creates a lot of anxiety. So I'm seeing more cases of psychological erectile disorder than I've ever seen in my practice. I don't think it has anything to do with porn, which is what gets written about What's in the psychological media. erectile disorder? Meaning that um, there's no physiological reason why a guy shouldn't be able to gain an mm-hmm. erection. He's able to masturbate and get erections. It's just when he's actually having uh, intercourse with a partner that he loses his erection. You know, sex today, it feels like can be... Not that it wasn't in the past. I'm not trying to generalize, but there can be a highly performative aspect to sex that creates a lot of pressure. You know, so for the guy who's sort of solely focused on intercourse and think thinks he's got it all down, you know, maybe just continuing to be open-minded and not take everything at face value as well. I think that's a great spot to end off. Stay open-minded. Again, thank you for your time. Very welcome, Zach. I appreciate this conversation. I think a lot of guys and girls will get great benefits from your insight. And thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks Should. a lot. Take care. Viva La Volva. Viva La Volva. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Dr. Ian Kerner. You are now one step closer to becoming a cunnilinguist. You can get the book She Comes First on Amazon or by visiting the link in the description of this podcast. And if you haven't already, drop us a quick five-star rating on Apple Podcasts as well as comment and subscribe. This helps us appear higher in searches, which means more people will find out about us. And we can... Can't talk. Using my tongue way too much. And we can keep bringing the biggest and best conversations to you. Until next time.